Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm back after a Quite a break. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. This is Your Money. With me this Friday, 22nd of July, Asia-Pacific markets are trading relatively flat this morning as investors digest the latest inflation numbers out of Japan. Prices there rose 2.2% in June as compared with a year ago. That is in line with analyst expectations. As for stocks, the Nikkei is trading marginally higher. Seoul is up 0.2%, while Sydney is in the red. Joining me now. As we break down all the market action, is Yup Jun Rong, market strategist with IG. Good morning, Jun Rong. Hi, good morning, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Oh, always a pleasure. Let's start this morning right here in Singapore, where we are entering earnings season. Maple Tree Logistics Trust has posted a jump in net property income for the first quarter of its financial year. It'll pay investors 5% more than a year ago in distributions. Restaurant operator Japan Foods, meanwhile, is back in the black. It netted $1.4 million on the back of growth of its halal food segment. SATS reports its earnings today. More REITs will report next week, while UOB kicks off the reporting season for Singapore banks next Friday. So a lot to get into. Junrong, a headline in today's Business Times says that corporate earnings overall for the first half of this year are likely to be mixed. And it goes on to say that financials and some industrial stocks are likely to outperform. What's your take on this? Yes, yeah, so if we tack towards the U.S. earnings season, uh, towards our own uh, local earnings season, generally we could be seeing some form of a resilience in the current uh, earnings considering that consumers are still riding on uh, accumulated savings and also some uh, pent-up demand could continue to hold amid the uh, ongoing uh, economic uh, reopening. But the general key will lie in terms of the corporate outlook. So, um, you know, I believe that if we were to look towards some moderation in economic conditions ahead, we are seeing some uh, mixed uh, mixed, uh, guidance coming from uh, these uh, big companies itself. So that would definitely be one to watch because, you know, they generally tend to be more cautious in terms of their hiring and also spending. And that could lead to some uh, revival of the uh, recession risk that, you know, everyone is so afraid of. And for banks itself, uh, they will be releasing their earnings over the coming weeks. Mm. I believe that we could see that the build-up in loan loss provision could be slightly lesser than our U.S. Uh, counterparts, considering that you know our local banks were still uh, more prudent in terms of uh, releasing their uh, loan losses allowance uh, previously. So that could still you know try to underpin some of their earnings, along with an increase in net interest margin that could also play out to support its uh, net interest income as well. So some resilience I would expect there, but outlook will be the key to watch. If we look at the markets since I left on holiday two weeks ago, I see the Straits Times Index has traded in a range roughly between. Between 3090 and 3170. Overall, it gained 21 points during that period, just a fraction of a percent. Now, if we zoom out a bit further, the SDI is a tad higher since January and a tad lower if you take a 12 month perspective. Junrong, what is it going to take for Singapore's blue chip index to break out of this tight trading range? Yeah, so uh, near term, we are definitely seeing some form of uh, optimism. I mean, if you look on the technical front, the STI has kind of broken out of its uh, previous consolidation range and formed a new uh, higher high this week. So that may suggest some kind of uh, outward bias, uh, at least in the near term. But we'll definitely have to see how it goes, whether it marks the eventual bottom, I believe uh, that's still wait to be seen. Uh, one aspect that we can look towards that I believe has to be in play for a further recovery is in terms of the uh, net institutional uh, fund flow. 
So if you look at the uh, SGX uh, institutional fund flow over the past few weeks, we are still seeing uh, some kind of uh, ongoing uh, net outflows from these uh, institutional uh, players. And it's mainly the retails uh, that are jumping in to get to load up in the local market itself. So I believe that we have to gain uh, more traction from these uh, institutional players. So we will definitely have to see whether you know further inflows could come in over the coming weeks. If you look at the recent uh, volume of this uh, uh, upward uh, move, uh, it tends to be a le relatively lesser as compared to previous periods. So I would say that there's still some form of a lingering uh, caution that are still keeping market participants from taking on a more excessive risk position. So overall, we'll definitely have to see uh, economic conditions wise. We know that, you know, we are still in the midst of a moderating. So we are still hanging on, uh, on this uh, cloud of uh, uncertainty ahead. Mm -hmm. I believe that we have to see a greater assurances that, you know, economic conditions have kind of bottomed before our markets feel more confidence in uh, jumping back into the STI. Got it. Next up, let's turn our attention to the world of travel. A friend of mine uh, in Europe has been having a devil of a time on her holiday. You know, long delays at the airports, all those mixed misconnections, all sorts of plays waylaid, and she is hardly the one facing a difficult time traveling. By the way, have you caught a plane lately, General? Uh, no, not from yet. Not yet. All right. Well, United Airlines released its financial results this week and it grossed more than 12 billion US dollars in the second quarter of the year. That is its best haul in more than a decade and it helped the US carrier return to profitability. High costs cutting heavily into these profits though and investors dumped UA shares overnight. They tumbled more than 10%. So Junrong, we're definitely seeing a lot of pent up demand for travel, but air carriers are clearly having trouble delivering Earlier this year, many analysts thought that airlines would be good post-COVID investments. What do you think about the sector now? Yes, so for the sector's current conditions, I suggest that two tailwind could be in place. Number one will be the resilient uh, travel demand as you know, consumers are still willing to pay higher prices for these uh, airfares because to enjoy the things that they didn't get to enjoy during the COVID period, right? And the second thing is the uh, higher airline fares that are helping to boost their pipeline. So if you look at the uh, US uh, CPI uh, data, namely the uh, airline uh, portion, it is actually a very search ahead, the highest level since uh, 20, 2012. So generally, the airline fares are, are very high, but you know consumers are still willing to, to, to drive some uh, spending in that aspect. So I believe that near term, yes, all this uh, resilient travel demand could continue to underpin its uh, results. But we are seeing some uh, restrictions that are coming in in terms of the labor demand. So they are facing some uh, problem uh, getting uh, workers to, you know, uh, up the, the, the demand without, you know, having to increase wages. So labor cost is definitely on the rise. And if you look towards the uh, energy prices, even though we are seeing some uh, moderation towards uh, late June, right. uh, generally it still remains at an elevated uh, level. So that will continue to weigh on their margin overall. And if you look towards, you know, a uh, possible recession risk ahead, mm -hmm. uh, this slowing uh, economic momentum will definitely be one key risk to watch because we know that travel tends to be more uh, discretionary or, or you can say it's non-essential. Mm -hmm. So if you were to see a dental economic conditions, you know, that could leave the travel segment more susceptible to a greater pullback in spending. Let's look at the picture here in Asia. As I mentioned at the near top of this segment, SATS reported its earnings today. Shares of the baggage handler and the food caterer are down 10% over the past three months. So Junrong, I'm wondering, do you see any differences between Asian and Western travel stocks? Are Asian carriers coping better? Are they better investments? 
Um, generally, I would say that um, the, the issue that persists uh, in this uh, travel industry uh, remains uh, kind of in line. So, of course, we are seeing a tailwind from this uh, pent-up demand from an economic uh, reopening. Consumers are more willing to pay a higher prices, at least for now, to, to you know, enjoy some of the things that they didn't get to enjoy during COVID. But the issue is in terms of the uh, labor costs. Okay, in order to cope with this uh, demand. So we are seeing some cancellation uh, coming in from the US side, even though the Asia carrier seems to be sort of uh, in a better picture in terms of this uh, operational risk. But generally, the, the overall headway still persists, right? If you are talking about a uh, higher cost from labor, higher cost from uh, energy, and also if you look towards a uh, moderating economic condition. So we can eventually see some of these uh, pent-up demand uh, die down over the coming months if economic conditions were to taper down uh, along with all these uh, central banks uh, tightening. Let's turn our attention to China now because I know this week you wrote that a lingering caution persists in the markets towards Chinese equities. In particular, you highlight the risks associated with COVID-19 and China's COVID-0 policy as well as the property sector concerns over in China. I'm wondering what your take is these days on Chinese tech stocks. I mean, it looked like Beijing was easing up on the sector, but then just this week, it slapped the ride-hailing company Didi with a 1.2 billion US dollar fine. Uh, Chinese regulators have also gone after e-commerce and food delivery companies in recent months. So, what do you think, Jun Rong? Now that Beijing has fined Didi, will the storm clouds over Chinese tech stocks clear, or is there more to come? So for me, it seems uh, there's some positivity that we are seeing a lesser extent of you know major changes to regulation recently as compared to the uh, start of the year, which may kind of suggest that we could be a step closer to the end of this whole uh, tech regulatory phase. If we are talking about financial fines uh, kicking in, uh, that could generally be seen as the uh, less severe uh, punishment for these uh, big companies, considering that we know that fines are one-off and profitability for these companies over the years can far overshadow uh, this uh, fine amount. So generally, if we are talking about lesser extent of a regulation kicking in, hopefully we are, you know, nearing the end of this uh, whole phase. And valuation thus far has been uh, far trailing behind its uh, US counterpart. So it seems to carry some kind of a value proposition to it. And it may be uh, suitable for you know, longer term uh, investment. As you mentioned, that in the near term, uh, some of the risks are still presented in terms of the virus risk and also the property sector risk itself. But over the longer term, I believe that you know, near term volatility may still be expected, but longer term, it could present uh, some form of a value proposition here. DD shares are down more than 60% since going public in the US about 13 months ago. As bad as that sounds, the stock has rallied over the past three months, more than doubling in value. It's all a matter of timing. I'm speaking with Yup Jun Rong, market strategist with IG. This is Your Money with me, Michelle Martin. Good morning. Another headline related to China that has investors scratching their heads links back to Warren Buffett. Now, his company, Berkshire Hathaway, owns a 8 billion US dollar stake in the Chinese electric vehicle company, BYD. A week ago, a position of exactly that size appeared in Hong Kong's stock market clearing system, leading investors to wonder whether Buffett was preparing to cash in. He's made quite a profit on BYD and now another EV company or other rather EV companies appear to be performing better, but he hasn't sold yet. So Jin Rong, fill us in. What do you think could be happening here? 
Yeah, so to me, there has definitely been some speculation on, you know, what Warren Buffett is trying to do with a BYD. And generally, I believe that it's all speculation. It's mm-hmm. still very hard to make a very clear call on this, despite mm-hmm. all these uh, ongoing uh, theories. But I believe there could be some form of a de-risking of his uh, position coming in place here, considering that the share price for BYD has kind of surged uh, by 30% right. over the past one year. And if you are talking about a tougher economic outlook ahead, mm-hmm. there could be some form of a de-risking involved, if you were to look towards uh, several companies uh, cutting down on their hiring spending. So I believe that that could be Warren Buffett potentially taking on a more uh, prudent and a cautious take if it is really him that, you know, kind of uh, offload the position in the market. All right. As we continue our whirlwind tour of markets, let's move to Frankfurt, where the European Central Bank has raised interest rates for the first time in more than a decade as it joins the global fight against inflation. The ECB is increasing three key lending rates by half a percentage point. That's twice as large as what it's been telegraphing to the markets. What impact could this bigger than expected rate hike, Jun Rong, have on currency markets? Is it helping the euro regain some lost ground against the US dollar? Yeah, so we are definitely finding some form of a positive surprise, upside surprise from the ECB yesterday. So the central bank has raised the interest rate by a more than expected uh, 50 basis point. And if you look at the euro dollar, while there was a knee-jerk reaction uh, to the upside uh, immediately after the news, uh, the euro dollar pair eventually uh, fall within some kind of an uh, indecision as the uh, gains were aggressively uh, paired back uh, thereafter. So I believe that this actually comes after we see a softer uh, forward guidance being laid out for future rate increases, potentially to be made uh, meeting by meeting, whereas the terminal rate was also held unchanged. So it can just mean a, a near-term uh, front-loading of a rate hikes, while the scale of hikes will be eased uh, ahead. So if you look at the euro dollar, uh, I believe it continues to trade within a descending channel pattern. Uh, even though it's pushing higher lately on a weaker dollar and some reversion from a technical oversold conditions, I believe the 1.037 level will remain on watch as a near-term resistance to overcome. And this is where I see the upper channel trendline resistance potentially stand in place. Mm, What about stocks? I mean, does the ECB's move change your view at all of European equities? Yeah, so to me, it suggests that, you know, um, they are facing an inflation problem as compared, you know, relative to the rest of the world, considering that their inflation figure are nearing the double-digit numbers already. So there are definitely some pressure for them to really try to tame inflation. But on the other hand, they are also experiencing some form of a higher growth risk from the uh, geopolitics geopolitical tensions that's happening on the uh, Ukraine-Russia front. So they are definitely put in a very difficult picture and we really have to see how economic conditions will turn out as they go along. But generally what they are facing is is definitely a tougher environment as compared to the rest of the world. Mm. In the US, shares of the social media company Snap are plunging in after-hours trade, down more than 25%. Now, this comes amid disappointing earnings numbers. Snap also refraining from issuing any forward guidance for their next quarter, saying, quote, forward-looking visibility remains incredibly challenging. So, Junrong, why is the market so difficult right now for social media companies like Snap? Yeah, so if we look at Snap, it generally adds to the list of uh, companies uh, providing guidance to slow down on hiring and spending. But it seems that Snap has uh, painted a more negative uh, outlook on the economic conditions, especially when they have already struggled to deliver in the second quarter, 
when economic conditions are still deemed to be uh, more resilient. And if you talk about further slowdown, that will definitely translate to further risk of a downward revision in the advertising spend spending space. And for these uh, social media companies, uh, which are very heavily dependent on the uh, ad market, uh, they tend to be cyclical in nature. So near-term headwind persists as you know, companies tend to be more cautious in terms of marketing spending until they are more assured that economic conditions have bottomed before they are more willing to loosen their wallet. So in the near term, I believe that that will continue to be a headwind for these uh, social media companies. Mm, if we zoom out again, recession alarm bells are ringing on Wall Street. The number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits on the rise again. More than a quarter million people sought out unemployment assistance last week, the highest level in eight months. And on top of that, inverted yield curves are back in the news. Now, when short-term rates exceed longer-term ones, as they happened this week. Investors believe a recession could be near. It's not always the case, but there is some historical evidence for this. Jun Rong, if an investor believes that recession is the biggest concern facing the markets, how could they be looking at positioning? So for now, I believe that we are kind of shifting from pricing for inflation risk towards pricing for recession risk. If you are look, looking towards, you know, recession risk ahead, I believe the sell-off in bonds uh, could potentially be at its uh, later stage and could see some easing as we shift towards, you know, uh, more and more uh, economic data reflecting a further slowdown in growth. So some preference for me could be in terms of the bonds on the long end long end side of things. And if you are talking about recession risk ahead, definitely in terms of equities, you will want to stick to those uh, blue chip or big tech companies, which are definitely able to better weather the storm as proven by you know previous episodes of a recession where demand for their products are generally more resilient and they're definitely in a better place with a large larger pool of uh, internal resources where they are able to tap on for growth as well and kind of pull ahead of a market competition amid this general downbeat environment. So personally, I'm more exposed to the China market as well. I believe that they have some more room for accommodative policies to take place. Mm. And as they struggle, you know, they kind of uh, ease their way out of this whole uh, virus situation. I believe the economic conditions could be set to improve, mm -hmm. even though it may come at a much uh, slower pace. All right, let's switch gears. Now, I don't know if amongst your wider family, your cousins, your sisters, your friends, you've ever had to contribute to Mattel's bottom line by buying a Barbie, Junrong? <laughs> no, I don't have to. <laughs> All right, well, the toy company that owns the rights to Barbie is Mattel, and it's just wrapped up filming of a new Barbie movie that is being produced in collaboration with Warner Brothers. Now, this is the first for Mattel, which is working to expand its business. It doesn't want to be just a toy company anymore. Instead, it has a strategy. It wants to focus on IP, intellectual property. Now, that Barbie film doesn't come out for another year, though. So what do you think you're going to see when it does, General? Yes, yeah, so I believe that this ongoing release of uh, this plan for this film is definitely part of uh, Mattel's uh, broader shift in strategy to becoming an, more of an IP uh, firm. And I believe that that is a really a good strategy because generally if you are talking about passing on some of these, you know, generally IP come with a low cost, right? Mm -hmm. So generally, I believe that this could potentially um, definitely be a very good uh, tailwind for their bottom line ahead. But 
as you mentioned, it could take some time to play out. So while in the near term, uh, we will definitely have to see how uh, a demand for its uh, toy products will hold. Mm. So even though it, it remains resilient, but we know that you know all these toys tends to be discretionary spending. Mm. So if you are talking about economic conditions potentially are weakening ahead, so we will have to see whether consumers are still uh, more willing to spend. So in terms of their uh, of their top and bottom line, there will be one to watch mm. while we wait for this uh, longer term strategy to play out. All right, so possibly a good tailwind for Barbie, but we'll still have to see. Jun Rong, thanks so much for joining us this Friday. Have a great day ahead. Thank you, Michelle. Always terrific speaking with Yup Jun Rong, market strategist with IG. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.